Good evening and happy holidays. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. For the last few years, the uh, MechWarrior and Battletech universe was in, uh, I'd say it was pretty rough shape. It was starting to look like we might never see another MechWarrior game on PC, and the Battletech board game had kind of vanished from a lot of hobby shops uh, after the last box set sold out. But in this last year, we've kind of gone from famine to feast in a lot of ways. Catalyst Game Lab has released a new intro box set this past uh, summer, I think it was. And a couple months ago, Piranha Games announced they were developing MechWarrior Online, a free-to-play mech sim for 2012. It's an exciting time to be a mech fan, and it's striking that both Catalyst and Piranha are really making an effort to place their games in the broader context of the Battletech universe. A game universe with a long, detailed history written over nearly 30 years... uh, countless expansions, novels, and video games. Today we're going to be talking about that universe, the Battletech board game, and how all that history uh, informs game design. Uh, to help us do that, I can think of no one better to talk to than Catalyst's Randall Bills, whose career is in many ways also the story of Battletech. Randall, thanks for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. We also welcome Russ Bullock and Brian Ekman from Piranha Games, and two people who have done a lot of thinking about the Battletech universe and how to give it its due in a PC game. Russ, Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So, Randall, I wanted to start with you, but this is a question for everyone. Uh, so why do you think Battletech has enjoyed such a loyal following over a really long history for a board game? I, I was actually just... Uh, thinking about this the other day, and I, I, I think I covered it in an uh, interview that uh, I did with Prada specifically on this topic, and I think there's many factors that come into that. Uh, one is you can never underestimate the power of, of giant robots blowing crap up on alien worlds. Uh, every 13-year-old boy, regardless of how old we might be, has the 13-year-old boy in us that still loves to just blow crap up. I think it's also the... Uh, the really iconic factions um, that it's instantly easy to wrap your head around what that faction represents, and there's a lot of factions, so people can easily find one that is is one that calls to them. Um, I think it's the really uh, dynamic characters, all the way from you know your heroes to your villains. Um, and everything in between, uh, and it's the ongoing storyline. This this dynamic universe, as you said, it has thirty years of history that you can continue to go forward in. You can we can go back and tell stories, you know, centuries in the history past. Uh, all of these aspects work together to so that somebody in the universe can find multiple ways in which they just can't get away. That you know they have things that that are cool for them no matter how they look at it. Russ, Brian, does that sort of square with uh, how things how things look from your end, and uh, especially with regard to uh, the PC side of the Battletech universe? As Randall was thinking, I was, uh, as he was talking there, I was thinking about the subject, and thinking back all those years to the first time I played the, you know, the board game, and, and all the various, you know, incarnations that I played on the PC growing up, and <clears throat> wondering about that question. I think it's the notion of, of being elite, and and nothing does that better than than MechWarrior and BattleTech. Um, you know, a lot of kids grow up; they want to be, you know, a professional hockey player and play in the National Hockey League, and that's you know certainly a Canadian thing. Or you know, the starting quarterback in the NFL, and it's about being someone important, being famous. And in MechWarrior, it, it does such a good job of making the player feel like they're a unique elite warrior that not only gets to drive one of the coolest things you could ever imagine 
but that it's a very small set of people that are able to do that. So it really plays on, I think, our emotions that we're, um, we're driving this, this cool giant robot, but uh, you're also one of, uh, you know, just an elite few that, you know, get that privilege and all that just, just sings to us, I think, as gamers. I pretty much echo that. Uh, I think one thing that um, Jordan Wiseman said uh, when we were talking to him was this notion of uh, two knights facing off on a field of battle uh, and that there was this, this element of honor in the combat uh, also struck me as something that Battletech does really well. Uh, the fact that you're piloting these these massive machines and that they're the most powerful units in the entire universe um, also just kind of makes me giddy and it plays to that boyish fantasy of driving something that's just really cool and can destroy lots of things. Yeah, Wiseman's point about the, there being this idea of honor to Battletech, certainly that was one of the themes that comes up um, certainly a lot in the novels where uh, Battletech, pi- uh, MechWarrior pilots are, are kind of the... Kind are are kind of the elite. They're they're also kind of almost like uh they're like the medieval knight. Do you think that I mean, do you think BattleTech is specifically sort of like cre- like created out of a a need for for something like that in the eighties uh, against sort of the backdrop of post Vietnam Cold War? Uh, do you, do you think there is some sort of subconscious like yearning for a different kind of warfare that this game is answering? I know specifically having talked with Jordan about it, it wasn't. I don't know whether consciously he was thinking about that. Uh, I I know it was more he had seen the animation out of several, you know, Robotech and some of these other films that were hadn't quite made it over to the U.S., um, but were about ready to break. And he thought, you know, it'd be cool to do a game on those, but he didn't think that the the more Asian-oriented, you know, teenager saving the world style would go over very well uh, and so that's where he came up with you know the succession wars uh and battletech as set when it was first launched is all about the fall of the roman empire right so it was a more european setting it was more adult oriented um there much more shades of gray um now so i I don't know whether he went out of his way to do that. I think you certainly could make an argument that it tapped into it, regardless of whether that was his intention or not. Yeah, it does. It it, it does seem striking that, um, as you say, that there there are many other. It's not like giant battling robots are only the uh, you know it's only BattleTech's turf. That, that's really not the case at all. But a lot of those series, uh, a lot of the anime series and manga series that have to do with that haven't had the sort of breakthrough uh, with, with Western audiences that that Battletech did. What, was there it was there was there always sort of a conscious effort with Battletech to sort of um in a lot of ways sort of retell moments from Western history but sort of recast in the future? Uh, initially certainly. Uh, you know, Jordan's unabashed about, you know, let's rip off the Roman Empire and, and retell that in a in a science fiction setting. Um, and I think consciously or subconsciously, uh, in 30 years, you're going to retell, <laughs> uh, you know, across the millions and millions of words that have been written. Uh, you're just going to run into situations where uh, you are retelling things that have happened in the past in a futuristic setting. I, I don't think you can avoid that. I wanted to, so I assume we've, we've all played a fair bit of the uh, Battletech board game, I assume, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, who's laughing? You can say that, uh, Randall. I am. 
so my, my question is, I mean, are, have you? Do all of you? You all, all of you play other other board games, uh, other war games? Oh yeah, I I play about any game I can get my hands on. So I wanted to ask because uh, I you know I've been I've been playing the uh, the BattleTech uh, int- intro box set. Uh, Lately, with with some other people, um, you know, some of them sort of sort of new to BattleTech, and the reactions have been interesting. Um, and in a lot of ways, I, I wanted to ask you guys: Does this does does the design hold up? Uh, you know, compared to a lot of sort of the modern trends in board game design. Um, it, it's really that's a fascinating line of of reasoning. Back in the late or, or mid. 2000s, um, right as we were thinking about a new introductory box set, as we were um, looking at starting to design a new core set of rule books and in Total Warfare and so on, uh, you know, we're like at that point, the game's almost 20 years old. You know, should we look at completely redoing the system? Uh, and ultimately decided that one of the strengths, uh, as much as the continuity of the universe and the fiction and how much effort uh, is put into maintaining that all these years, that the the mechanics themselves could actually hold up. Uh, and so the, the new set of rule books that have published over the last few years and the new introductory box set have simply been about taking them and, and representing it in the best possible way, you know, the just uh, the best art that we can, the, the best presentation uh, of the rules, lots of good examples, uh, and showcase the strength of this property. And, you know, I don't think off the top of my head I can think of any other game, whether board game or role-playing or anything, where you can say that it's almost 30 years old uh, it's been in constant publication, even if <laughs> some of those years were pretty lean. Uh, and the core of the game ha- is completely unchanged. Uh, the, the core of Mech on Mech Combat is exactly how it was, you know, when it first published back in, uh, in 86, uh, 85 and 86. Uh, and then the, you know, we, we blew through that introductory box set back in the, in the spring and summer. Uh, so to me, that that's a testament that it that it does still hold up uh, and that that universe absolutely still can draw in both old older people who remember playing it when they were young and are coming back to it or, or a brand new audience and brand new kids. I think Valtech uh, is layered in a way that, and especially with the introductory box set, that you can jump in, have a quick match, uh, get out, enjoy the experience, and then go back again and find something completely different. Uh, and find new tactics and develop new strategies. Uh, we've used uh, the introductory set internally at Piranha for people who haven't played the game before, the board game itself before, and it was an incredible tool, a learning tool for them. They understood why things were designed the way they were, and until you play the um, the board game, uh, the tabletop game, you really don't understand why there is heat and why you have these criticals and things like that. Uh, so I think... Uh, that the, the initial core design of the Valtech tabletop game uh, is timeless. It work it's worked for thirty years, and at its heart, it's very simple. Uh, what the player brings to the table is their their own creativity and their own strategic minds, and that's where the depth comes in and the ability for players to uh, have massive battles over endless amounts of hours. 
I'm I'm interested to hear that that you you were using this to sort of introduce people to to the BattleTech universe, because I would think if you if you had to sort of educate people on what you're doing over at Piranha, uh, I mean why not just fire up the old MechWarrior video games and leave it at that? Uh, what what does what does BattleTech uh, give you that the 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 video games really don't? It gives you a a clear understanding of how weapon systems work, how armor works how the core gameplay mechanics work, the concept of these turret, um, you know, torso rotating machines and how important it is to flank people and how important it is for you to have positional awareness and why terrain matters and why height matters and, and why hiding in a forest matters. Uh, it gives you a perspective as to why things work the way they do in the video game versions of the Battletech products. Going back and playing the MechWarrior games is extremely valuable as well, and in fact, we've done that, and a lot of people in our studio have either played them through their the course of their life or have gone back and, and tested them again now that we're making the product. Uh, but, you know, those are interpretations of the tabletop game, and I always find it's best to go back to the purest source in order to, when you uh, make your interpretation, that you understand why things were done the way they were and not try to make an interpretation of an interpretation because uh, then you end up with um, kind of a bastardized, bastardized version of a product. So that's why we did it. Going back to, going back to the game, so one of the things that I've, I've encountered as I, as I play it with people who haven't played it in a while or uh, who have never played it before is that, I mean, if you, if you compare it to a, a lot of modern board games, there is a there are a lot of there are a lot of rules in BattleTech. Like I mean, there, there's basically no action uh, that you can take that doesn't involve consulting uh, you know several different tables. Uh, it, it reminds me in a lot of ways of um, you know well I mean I guess rightly so. It reminds me a lot of you know the war games you that came out of like the 70s. Uh, you know it's it's in some ways ASL for giant battling robots. You know I, I'm curious whether or not. When you when you're approaching the the intro box set, yes, the game has endur- enduring appeal and it has a loyal audience. But just from a game design perspective, do you find yourself do you find yourself wishing, uh, Randall, that you had maybe a little more latitude to sort of futz with the system and uh, you know make it maybe speed up play or make it a little more uh, make it a little easier to learn? Interestingly enough, I have probably added more rules and changed more things than like all the previous line developers combined. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, to have somebody say, you know, don't you wish you could have, you know, messed with it even more. I, I, I would think I'd almost be nervous uh, about messing with it more than, than how much I have. Um, One of the things that we did do, however, is while, um, we decided that the core of the game should remain the same. And we did set it up so that uh, there's something uh, called, there's a battle force system, and then an amalgam to that is the quick strike system. So what battle force is, is I don't know if you guys remember from way back that there was a, a, a system, a battle force box set in the late 80s, and then a, a battle force 2 box set in the late 90s. Uh, both of which were attempts to create basically f- either a fast plane battle tech uh, or a that you could play really large scale battle tech. Yes. 
and it basically, in you know, in normal BattleTech play, you have an entire eight and a half by eleven of game stats for a unit, and basically in Battle Force that shrinks it all down to effectively about six to eight stats. So you can have up to like twelve units on an eight and a half by eleven sheet, uh, and that's actually found in one of the the uh, in Strategic Operations, which is one of the rule books that's further down the line. Uh, and then what Quick Strike does is Quick Strike melds this much faster playing Battletech with um, tabletop miniatures play. So it actually turns Battletech into a analogous to you know something like War Machine or uh, Warhammer, uh, where you are playing true miniatures play. It's much quicker play, but still retains all the flavor of Battletech. So we absolutely wanted to give that possibility to players. Um, and if you go online, you know, onto the, onto the Battletech website, you're going to be very relatively quickly able to find those, the record sheets for that play and you can find the conversion rules. Uh, but ultimately we still wanted to have that, you know, core experience of that original game right out of the, or out of the first box. Right, I, I did find it interesting in the in the intro box set. It's it's a lovely edition. Uh, if you if you haven't seen it, it's it, it's one of the prettiest damn board games uh, I think I've I think I've ever unboxed. Gorge manual, uh, and it, it, I'll tell you, it does a hell of a job of uh, upselling you on uh, additional BattleTech material because one of the first things you're introduced to, and, and this is interesting. I think it's it's relevant to our conversation about the relationship that BattleTech and MechWarrior both have to this large universe. One of the first things that you come across in this in this intro box set is yes, the, these additional rule sets that sort of scale the action up or down from say an individual in the MechWarrior universe. Uh, you know, basically playing an RPG, and you can scale that up um, to what's the highest level? I think it's Interstellar Operations. Interstellar Operations, which is the book that's you know currently kicking my butt <laughs> as we're working on it. Right. So I, the idea is it's eventually going to scale out so there's rules where you can play a BattleTech game that involves you basically commanding. You know, huge swaths now of this of this galaxy, entire Starfleets sending regiments out to conquer worlds. Um, I, I do find it very very interesting that here there there seems to be a real attempt to situate BattleTech, that core game, in sort of a continuum of uh, sort of experiences in that universe. And uh, I don't know, I'd just be interested to hear a little more like wh- why you're placing so much emphasis on this. Uh, this time around, where when I recall from BattleTech, you know, when I was playing it in the '90s, it was pretty much all about just getting new mechs for the core game, and that was really where a lot of the action was concentrated. Well, I I am an absolute firm believer. Now, don't get me wrong; I've played more BattleTech than I ever really care to think about or contemplate, uh, and I love it to death. I mean, right behind me is a nice big table uh, of a BattleTech game that uh, of a Quick Strike BattleTech game actually that I have going with my son. So I love the game, I enjoy it to death, but I'm just not sure if there wasn't this giant, wonderful, immersive universe that is meshed together intrinsically, whether I would still be playing it after all these years. And so part of the introductory box set was to show to uh, potentially a, a new player coming in uh, as best we could, both the scale of the universe itself, 
uh, and how cool and wonderful it is uh, and how dynamic and filled with adventures as it can be, uh, as well as a, a really well thought out series of rule books and the additional supporting products that allow a player to just go down the rabbit hole as far as he wants to go down. Um, as I think um, Brian pointed out earlier, you know, each time a player comes to the table, they get to decide what they want to experience and what they want to get out of it. Uh, and there have absolutely been times when uh, Herb, Herb's the current Baltic line developer, uh, and I have wondered, you know, did we do too many rules? I mean, these rule books are giant <laughs> books, very big, very meaty. But ultimately, I, we wanted to do the whole kitchen experience so that you absolutely can go all the way from just a, a guy in his mech and a very small campaigns all the way up to, if you wish, uh, you know, being the leader of an entire house and fighting out an entire succession wars. Uh, and so we felt that that linking the both what they can get out of the rules as well as what they can get out of the set, the fiction and the setting and the reading of it, laying that all out as carefully as possible and then showing them that, you know what, you don't need to go down here at all, but it's all there for you to grab if you want to. Uh, and, you know, it, it apparently, at least, you know, the first printing worked and uh, the second printing finally is going to be back on the shelf in January. So we're, uh, it seems to be doing what we hoped it would. Ross Bryan, as as fans of the of the board game, does that does that answer a need for you? I mean, is 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 this is this what you want from the BattleTech universe? I can um, try and comment on that. I think yeah, we've covered quite a bit there. But going back, maybe a few questions as you've been talking to Randall. I think you know the game has we've faced a similar sort of questions. I mean, nowadays, let's face it, you know, gaming. <laughs> like the rest of life, seems to be uh, as fast-paced and as quick as humanly possible. And you take a look at the, the most popular, you know, real-world shooters and their multiplayer systems today. It's extremely Twitch-based and extremely, you know, first person to see the other guy and pull the trigger wins. It's just the fastest action you know, you can imagine and people think of mech warrior and they they ask the same questions and we ask the questions of ourselves can the game stand up in today's market or do people just want the fastest most you know quickly gratifying experience possible and in some ways i think we fit in both categories because on the one hand um we certainly are not quite like those games rounds uh take a little longer you're um, maybe not round, so to speak, but your mech itself um, is not a one-shot, one-kill situation in almost almost all the time. You might think of a few situations with one mech against a particular mech and a situation where things might end quickly, but uh, you're out there for a while strategizing and, um, you know, a little different than today's games. But I think we're also very much the fast, quick interpretation of the board game because whereas the board game um, has you know its rule books that you're you're looking up each round if you're not you know perfectly fluent in the in the in the board game um, all that of course is happening uh, in real time behind the scenes in the cold you when you launch those that LRM 20 pack exactly how it's going to fly and 
which missiles are going to hit and which clusters hit where. All that, of course, is decided. So it's just happening in real time, and you're just truly immersed in the the fullest of the action. So I, I don't know if I've answered anything there other than just sort of presented a you know an interesting situation where uh, I think on the one hand I say, well, we are the uh, the fast action, you know, quick gratification interpretation of of the BattleTech board game. Uh, but on the other hand, we're still not. We are something different. You know, we're not just another uh, real world shooter. And my assessment is that um, although people might wonder and they might say, "Here's what today's gamers want," when they play a game um, and get immersed in it, uh, they seem to remember, like, "Oh." Maybe the reason I'm just playing those games is that's all there is today. I really like this. I know that's been the case for me uh, when I've played the MechWire titles and uh, even a few others that I can think of right now that are um, you know, to a MechWarrior experience that I just you know really immersed in. From my point of view, sorry, uh, to looking at where the Battletech board game is, uh, I think there's... If you look at, say, some other tabletop games like War Machine and... Uh, and uh, Warhammer, War Machine is uh, kind of Warhammer meets WoW. You have a very WoW art style, and you have WoW-esque gameplay mechanics, and then you have uh, uh, okay. And so I have not, yeah. So I've not played War Machine. This is a game I've heard a lot about actually in the last year, but I've not actually played it. So uh, could you, could, yeah? So please get into a little bit of what War Machine is and and how it plays. Uh, it it's a fast. It's a really fast-paced miniatures game. Uh, it basically rewards you for being aggressive, and they don't they don't hide that fact. It's there's no sitting back and being really strategic. It's really about just rushing and killing your opponent as quickly as possible. I think it was a reaction towards uh, how long battles were taking in previous incarnations of tabletop adventure games that. Uh, you know, it would take hours to resolve combat or hours to do each turn. Um, War Machine really reflects a modern gaming audience. I think that's why they've been successful and and how they pulled in even a new newer younger audience. Um, if I was to like be in Randall's shoes right now, uh, which is an enviable position in my opinion, I might add, uh, <laughs> is uh, I would. Make a mech. I would say keep BattleTech the way it is, and keep the the name BattleTech and the concept of BattleTech the way it is, because it, it has a huge heritage and it does cater to a, a market that needs uh, a product like it, and that is that that really cool layer tactical tabletop game. But I would then make a nice Mech Warrior miniatures game that was maybe a little bit lighter on rules. And maybe more fast-paced, and maybe had a little bit bigger miniatures that were really cool to look at and paint, and and then have uh, you know maybe a, a more um, as they uh, like uh, War Machine and War, uh, Warhammer a ruler-based uh, kind of gameplay, and just have a have it be sped up a bit. And I think that would hit a demographic uh, and a younger audience than the current product. Um, but that that's just if I was an issue. But that sounds a bit like what you were talking about, uh, Randall, with uh, the the quick strike, quick strike uh, rules. Absolutely, uh, and we've actually had a call from current fans that really enjoy that. Of you know, hey, are we going to see a, a rule book by itself like that? Are we going to see uh, you know maybe miniatures presented like that? Uh, you know, all these things are absolutely things that we're looking at, um, and you know, it doesn't mean that's where we're going. Um, 
but one of the things we've always tried to do is you know listen to feedback from the community and to try and find new uh, and different ways to present various aspects of, of the universe and the rules and the play. So uh, it's certainly something we've been discussing ourselves. You know, so so the complexity of a game like BattleTech. Uh, there there were a couple things. You know, having playing a lot of this game uh, lately. You know, it raises a couple things. Uh, has raised a couple things for me. One is that as I play BattleTech, the the board game, uh, I go to it kind of hoping to get a bit of the experience that I got from. Uh, well, you know. Uh, playing some of the games, games uh, like Mech Commander, uh, but also reading uh, the the absolute tons and tons of Battletech novels, uh, of which I've read an absolutely shameful number. Um, But one of the things that that those sort of set up is this, they they show you Battletech combat on sort of this, this really fascinating scale where it's like, you know, at the company level where you know, you've got a dozen mechs to a side, or maybe, you know, even, like, you know, 60 mechs to a side. Huge battles. And they're really fascinating to read about. But Battletech is really sort of designed to... The core game is really all about, you know, just a handful of mechs to a side. Like, if you're doing uh, just a, one lance versus another lance, uh, and a lance is basically a squad of mechs, it, it's four mechs. Uh, this, is, this is all in the lore, people. Um... <laughs> But it, it's it's really even if you're doing just four mechs to a side, you're still letting yourself in for a really slow, deliberate experience. And the 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 thing the things I come away with, um, you know, after playing after playing BattleTech, is, is that on the one hand, I get th- I have these really interesting um, you know after action discussions right with the opponent, like where where did things go wrong. Uh, you know, should I have been trying more standoff tactics? Should I have tried to manage heat? Uh, you know, try to sit my mechs down in the water and just blaze away? Stuff like that, uh, which is all very cool. But at the same time, it also means that a lot of these games have this sort of uh, slow ramp up uh, that can be that that can be a bit of a hurdle. Uh, uh, you know, especially if you're if you haven't internalized these roles, it's 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 a rough game to play uh, with a first timer. But the other thing is, I also come away kind of wishing that I, I love mech combat, but I've always sort of felt that BattleTech certainly uh, operates on the scale that isn't quite the scale as where the coolest stories in that universe are happening. I mean, I don't know. Does, does that sort of does, does that sort of mesh with your experiences? I think I know what you're saying. I guess the the first question is: Did you ever uh, have an experience of playing the the Battle Force rules at any time? Uh, no, I've never I've never managed to do that. Okay, um, that I think is might be what you're looking for. I mean, like uh, again, talking about what I just mentioned, you know, I'm I'm turning around and looking at a board, and I I have basically you know about three and a half battalions of mechs and and vehicles on the board uh and so we at you know and so that that type of fictional experience where you can have the commander sitting back and he has the you know the company of mechs that are driving through the center and you've got a flanking force on the right you know that that's literally all laid out on the board that that i'm experiencing so if that's the type of play you're looking for then i would highly recommend um giving both uh the battle force as well as the quick strike rules, both of which are in strategic ops. Uh, definitely that is something you should take a look at. 
and, and anyone else who might be listening that who's played Battletech in the past and thinks that they want the slightly faster play, the larger battles, those type of strategic maneuvers, that's definitely the experience you should look for. <clears throat> yes, I, if I could, I want to jump on that for a second. It's uh, not about my knowledge of the board game. Uh, again, just a little bit about myself briefly and uh, the Battletech aspect was that my brother, you know, he introduced me to the the the, uh, you know, the role-playing game. I have to give all him the credit there. He's just two years older than me, so, you know, he always uh, drug me in to play whatever he'd game he'd come home from the hobby shop with. And, and he got you into MechWarrior? He got me into Battletech, I guess okay. you'd say, right? He... Well, he brought home them all. So he introduced me to all of my favorites, you know, Battletech, Shadowrun, the list goes on. He essentially was a, you know, a Randall or whatever. He, <laughs> from a hobby standpoint, he would, he'd come home from the, the comic, the local comic shop uh, with a new board game uh, on a monthly basis and, and try and get me to play it with him. So and now I enjoyed those times and he introduced me to some things that obviously set my imagination, uh, you know, running wild. But I was always someone who was so attracted to the digital interpretation of those things. You know, we had this old, uh, you know, whatever it was, a PC with the turbo button, and the turbo button made it 8 megahertz, I think. But when those first Battletech interpretations came out, the first one that I recall was, you know, Battletech, Battletech the Crescent Hawks Inception. Um, I was, you know, fascinated. You know, I played that to death. And then. The, the next one, then there's the original MechWarrior, and I was always someone attracted to those products, so obviously, I am living the dream, you know, right now we're creating the next large in digital interpretation of MechWarrior, and a couple things you said I wanted to touch on was, first, the large-scale battles, um, I kind of flip-flop on that subject, too, because on the one hand, talking about the large-scale battles first, I was impressed with the way the technology was going, you know, before that kind of large break took place for unexplained reasons. Um, one of the last PC products was MechWarrior 4 Mercenaries. Pretty good game. I enjoyed it quite a lot. Um, and I think it was the first one of Memory Serves that allowed you to not only just take out a lance, but you actually had two full lances of, uh, of mechs that you took out into these, you know, single-player uh, environments. And you might meet another up to eight additional enemy mechs at any given time, plus perhaps some flying units and uh, um, a, a dropship on the ground. And you got some pretty large-scale battles going on, the biggest there had ever been so far, I guess I'll say. And it was it was great. I had some really good play experiences in that. And I remember you know talking to Brian about that and saying, this is great. Um, and I think I'm looking forward to our product where we're looking at 12v12 combat or entire company versus company. A company again in the lore is, is made up of three lances, so there's 24 mechs uh, fighting in perhaps an urban setting with perhaps maybe you know aerospace fighter support called in, and I can start to get pretty excited about the the scale that someone might be uh, taking part of in our game. But I think the flip side is you hit on the head that Battletech also one of its most attractive points is more of that small scale encounters. I think that's originally why we set our sights on a 3015 timeline back um, uh, with the you know, the product before it became MechWarrior Online. Uh, it was more focused on console was 3015 because there's something innately sort of attractive about that. These machines are extremely rare, extremely valuable, and the technology is not something we fully understand that well anymore. So they're priceless to us. So 
that therefore you got that sense when you read some of those earliest novels too um they did that so well especially the grace and death uh, carlisle that the great death legion uh trilogy i forget the name of that trilogy um randall can tell me go ahead randall what was it it's just the greatest legion chronicles okay um that really showed you like when they pieced together a mech here and a mech there and um and I want, we wanted to create that. That was 3015, really. It's like, let's go back there and really create that feeling again. So I think both aspects are fascinating. And I think with MechWare Online, uh, we're probably going to get, um, you know, maybe both aspects playing out in certain degrees when we have uh, different game modes. But I don't know. There's a bit of a rant by me on uh, both those subjects. But I think, uh, I guess it comes down to the player. But hopefully we'll cater to everyone's interest in that way. You raise a good point about sort of the changing role of the of the battle mech depending on the setting, and this is one of the this is one of the uh, interesting things that BattleTech does. Is I would say there's uh, the game really changes that universe really changes from the early, the earliest time periods uh, to the latest, where I would I would say these begin to feel like completely different games, uh, and and you both you. You're both wrestling to a degree with, with the challenge of making a a type of gameplay work for this this changing combat environment. Um, and I, I guess I'd, I'd like to hear you guys talk a bit about like you know approaching it from both sides. Like Randall, I mean, you have to you have to somehow make a set of rules that handles this huge span of time and all these different weapons and mechs that were designed and later. You know, in, in later time periods, and yet those rules still have to work for the earlier time periods. And uh, MechWarrior Online is actually going to be advancing the clock, uh, you know, sort of day by day, and uh, presumably, uh, I, I would, I would assume, like rolling out new content as sort of the Inner Spheres history uh, unfurls. So I'm curious to, uh, you know, I'm interested to hear like what sort of design challenges does that pose and are there do you think there were trade-offs with that approach to developing the universe i think probably one of the more challenging things is that with the one exception really of when the clan's technology was first introduced um in tech readout 3050 the mantra pretty much has been that you never obsolete anything. So, for example, the when the Inner Sphere and Clan, e- even on the Inner Sphere side, when 2750 was published and it had, say, the LBX-10 autocannon, uh, it was superior in every way to the standard AC-10. So suddenly there was no use or no reason to use this weapon outside of if you were playing during a time period when it didn't exist. But for many, many years after that, even before I started working on the property, um, it, the, the mindset then was, you know, let's ignore the fact of, uh, depending upon the area you're playing in, but, you know, new weapons should simply fit within different niches as opposed to completely obsolete anything. Uh, and so... You know, all the weapons that we have ever introduced, and, you know, I've been working on the game for 15 years now, so we have put out a lot of new weaponry. And across the board, it has always just fit within various lines of, you know, the the holes left by other weapons or providing effects that don't quite be covered by other weapons or you have to get into a certain uh, situation on the playing field, um, and so it has proven actually incredibly challenging. 
and challenging sometimes to create weapons that do that. Um, and it also has resulted in some weapons over the over the years. A lot of the fans don't like them because you know they're almost too specialized. Uh, you know, one of the first things that jumps to mind is the light Gauss rifle, um, an incredibly specialized weapon that a lot of fans really don't like to play with. Uh, what? Why is that? What is it? Well, it's uh, because it's too heavy for the amount of damage that it does. It only does okay. eight points of damage, but it but it's one of the longest ranged inner sphere weapons. Uh, and so that then requires a tactic of, you know, if you load that thing onto a VTOL and you whip the VTOL around at the very, uh, uh, you know, vertical takeoff landing craft, and you're whipping it around at the very edge of the plane area with a good pilot, you know, it's death by paper cut. So, you know, it, 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 I have seen it serve its purpose, but there's a lot of tactics and a, and a lot of strategy involved in that as opposed to you know, I'll say like the Clan E or PPC, which is still one of probably the two best weapons in the whole game. It just, you know, it's always good. It doesn't matter where you use it, what you put it on. It's always going to be a good weapon. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely has some of the things that I believe 100% are why the game is still alive and, and actually regrowing itself in popularity and in awareness uh, almost 30 years in. Uh, are some of the very things that have made it some of the most difficult to deal with? Absolutely. Yeah, from the uh, you know the digital side of things, we have uh, uh, similar problems with MechWarrior Online, but uh, they they manifest uh, in other ways. Uh, because we're a live simulation, uh, we don't need to use a lot of the rule sets that are created uh, and written about in the the more expanded combat manuals. Uh, we get a lot of stuff for free uh, because we're using a physics engine, because we have line of sight and we have the ability to do ray casts and uh, detect whether we're hitting objects. We don't need to create or simulate randomness or pilot skill. Uh, so that's one of the advantages we have. But that's also uh, a disadvantage in the sense that we now have to balance every time we introduce a new mech uh, or a new weapon, uh, especially when the clan technology comes in, we have to make sure that we don't introduce something that completely destabilizes uh, the game, uh, making it so that uh, previous uh, vehicles, the me previous mechs, are no longer valuable to its player base. Uh, so from MechWare Online's point of view, we, we are, we're, the way we're designing how the combat works and how the simulation works, uh, our focus is to make sure that we don't destabilize with the introduction of new new content. Uh, in fact, we hope to um, um, kind of add to the overall experience and the overall strategy uh, by introducing things like arenas and maps that cater to the new introduction of new mechs and weapons. And, and that's uh, that's got to be a difficult situation because when, now again, I wasn't working on, on the board game at the time, but I remember from the fan experience that when the clan weapons were introduced, it utterly wrecked the game in many ways, uh, particularly because there was no battle value. There was no way to balance these. They just dropped all these incredibly powerful weapons in our lap and said, you know, have fun. Um, and so, you know, in, in many ways, you get both on the board game side and on the computer game side, you get to look back and see the, <laughs> the errors of, if you will, of the past uh, and realize that, you know, you got as they introduce them, 
you know, absolutely got to figure out how to ensure that the players are still going to be enjoying the game when these things show up. Yeah, I think, I, sorry, a quick comment, and that is that I just, I think this is a great subject because you're right. It's almost like, uh, it is quite polarizing. Um, I think we had a lot of people that were extremely excited about the, you know, the title announced in 2009, which is a 3015 setting. And, uh, and, you know, the flip side of that is I think there was a almost a, you know, equal split down the middle, a number of people that said, oh no, you know, where's my clans? And they, they represent two very distinct, you know, aspects of MechWarrior. And, I think it is quite divided down the middle. I don't know the exact stats on it, but it uh, seems to be an equal number of people that uh, you know like it one way or the other. There's certainly a ton of people that were introduced to MechWarrior with uh, MechWarrior 2, you know, Activision's product of 95, which was the Invasion of the Clans, which you know by many people's accounts might still be the best you know uh, iteration of a MechWarrior game. So there's a lot of people that love the Clans and love and only know that era onward. And there's maybe even an equal number of people that really enjoy things beforehand. So we've got good challenges ahead of us, but I think we also have good ways to solve those things. Uh, you know, there's uh, we're going to have a number of months here with uh, you know pre-clan technology before our timeline reaches a clan standpoint, and then you know the the Intersphere mechs do introduce you know clan version technologies of those mechs, um, but you know nothing's preventing us from having matches of, uh, uh, you know, based on, you know, technology eras. So I don't know. I'm, I'm throwing things out there that just get myself in trouble. But I think we've got we've got ways to handle these things. I think just going to jump in a comment on that. Uh, Russ is what he said. Uh, one of the cool things about the clans is if you actually play or RP the clans correctly, it actually creates a lot of artificial limits and a natural order of balance in the universe. And that's one thing that we're looking at uh, ex examining as part of MWO is in bringing in some of those restrictions that the clans have as a part of their honor system to help balance out combat and the fact that uh, you know they have far superior weaponry than the Intersphere does. That's a good point. I think it's, it's something I should... You know, for listeners, if you haven't sort of been bitten by the the Battletech bug, as it were, I'm sorry for the terrible alliteration there. Uh, I'll burn in hell for it, surely. Um, but that's that's an interesting point because one of the things that is that is so great, uh, particularly about the way the the clan invasion storyline is rolled out, is the entire the entire world is sort of this uh, sort of medieval Europe. Uh, type situation, or actually more like pre-World War One Europe, five great powers, and then everything sort of gets thrown up in the air by this clan invasion, they've got better technology, better weapons, and yes, I mean, one of the things you, you, you were talking about these, these role-playing the clans, I think that is one of the things that a lot of players that I know sort of ran up against, is that, you know, players tend to play optimally, like, what's the most efficient, lethal way I can play? And they sort of throw aside sort of the story rationales for, um, you know, a lot of the way the combat is maybe supposed to play out. And, and the clan honor code is kind of a perfect example of this, where inner sphere mech warriors, you know, use really ruthless tactics. They gang up on targets. Where, whereas the whereas the the clan mech warrior is supposed to be kind of again focused on single combat, challenge somebody, you know, you know, pick on someone your own size, these kinds of things. Do you how do you, how do you how do you sort of inculcate that 
that role playing spirit in players. One of the things is since MechWarrior Online is all about uh, carrots, rewarding players for uh, activities that they do well. Uh, if a player is a clanner and he goes up against the Intersphere target, if he uh, through an action, an in-game action, uh, says, I'm going to challenge you, and that's it. I'm going to fight you one-on-one, and actually achieves that, we can reward them appropriately. Whereas if he just picks random targets and destroys a bunch of people and maybe gangs up on people, he doesn't get rewarded, rewarded as much. Uh, again, uh, what you said about efficiencies is something we use uh, internally to as our carrot mechanism. You know, let's Let's get the players... To play optimally the way we want them to play and encourage behavior that we want uh, them to do and give them rewards for doing it that way rather than just letting them do whatever and rewarding them for that as well. I think we've got lots of options for balancing too. Uh, first and foremost, of course, we don't have all the answers right now about uh, the clans because you know, we're pretty focused on our current game and we still have uh, you know, we have some time before we get to them, but um, lots of things to think about and as you know, uh, uh, you may or may not know what the uh, clans use different uh, uh, groups or units and instead of a lance they have Rano's going to correct me if I'm wrong they have a star which is uh, five mechs so um, you know perhaps there's you know two stars going up a co- against a company might be the right balance so the, all this comes down to game modes too you know as you can see we could restrict uh, we have a lot of ways we could restrict that whether it's you know, clans against Intersphere entirely, or um, clans against clans, or limiting things to Intersphere technology. So, I'd like to see all of them. I don't. I simply wouldn't want to just have okay. Intersphere technology fights itself, and you know, clan technology fights itself. That's a given. But I think the more interesting aspect is finding a good way to balance. You know, clans fighting the Intersphere as they would when they came in. So, um, with that honor system, they usually bid as to how many units they would come down with. So that might equate into, uh, you know, uh, less mechs with better technology, though, coming down to uh, face their Intersphere counterparts. So it's actually quite exciting to think about. Uh, even though that's, that's a challenge, I think that's going to be some of the most interesting time in our game is when we uh, have the invasion and just how we handle that, you know, how the, the Intersphere would, would, you know, fight up against the clans. So when it comes to making a faithful video game adaptation of Battletech, uh, one of the things that has really struck me in playing playing uh, the Battletech board game lately is, boy, everyone's a crappier shot than I remember. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's like I mean, I'm joking, but it's a really core component to to sort of the tact the strategy and tactics of Battletech, which is that most of the time you're going you're going to miss terribly. And I mean, how do you how do you make that sort of the the problem with the MechWarrior games, at least, is that the controls are just too good. Everyone everyone's too accurate. Uh, are you are you going to try to do anything to sort of show up the the limitations of mechs a little bit? I, I I think there's there's a few things. I mean, on the one hand, no, you know, that's somewhere that you know we are just plain different, and that's proper for a video game. You know that we. You're rewarded based on uh, your skill level, and your skill level is based on a lot of things and how you maneuver your mech. But for the most part, if you're just better, you're going to hit more often, and you're going to win. And it's not going to be about you know random dice rolls. So that is true. I think that in and of itself is a true statement for sure um, about our game as it, when it comes to a board game. 
Um, however, there are a couple of interesting things we're doing that puts a little more depth into how you shoot, you know, your weapons um, rather than perhaps saying being all at the one pinpoint accuracy point, but that there's some slight difference between weapons that might be on a torso that might be on, uh, on your arms. Well, because everything is driven by a player's skill initially, like how well they can control their mech in a battlefield, uh, we don't have to artificially introduce uh, randomness. Uh, the simulation, by virtue of how fast you're moving, um, the, the limits on how fast you can rotate and aim, uh, and the fact that there's geometry, so world geometry in front of you, and a human-thinking opponent on the other side doing exactly what you're doing, trying to avoid you getting shot and getting destroyed while killing the opponent. Uh, those factors and those variables take care of having to create this this randomness uh, and addresses you know pilots uh, the pilot skills and all the things that exist in the tabletop game and all the rules that exist in the tabletop game to make the game fair and not just say I shoot you with all my weapons and I hit. 100% of the time. So that's why there are dice in, in tabletop games, is if there weren't, you would always choose to do the maximum amount of damage. So we don't really have as many of those problems. Uh, we have other problems, though, which is if you have a really good player, how what happens then? Does he, is he able to uh, be as efficient as possible within the game space and maximize his kills? So we, we're always trying to balance... Uh, how fast you can move, with how fast you can shoot, with how fast you can aim to make sure that players have a chance, uh, how much damage weapons do uh, to make sure that, you know, you just don't walk around the corner and you're dead, um, that players have a chance to react and use tactics. So so with with, with both your games, you're, 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 you're trying to, uh, you're, you're trying to make players, I think, more aware uh, of the of the of the larger universe uh, in BattleTech, uh, certainly I think the MechWarrior games I don't think ever really did this in a lot of ways. The MechWarrior games were kind of here. Here's the story. Here's here's today's reason for piloting a giant mech around and blowing stuff up. Uh, but you, like if you played MechWarrior, you still didn't really have any idea of what the hell the Inner Sphere was or the ins and outs of the clans. And by the, by that same token, I think if you if you played BattleTech in isolation where it's just sort of this it becomes this sort of abstract um, war game uh, where you just happen to be commanding mechs. Y y again, you're not really thinking about um, you know the the, the broader storyline. Why why at this point are are you you're both putting you're both putting this this universe front and center? Uh, in a way that I don't think has really been done with with previous games set in the BattleTech universe. What's what's the upshot of doing that? How's that going? How's that going to change the the gamers' relationship to the product from what it's been before? Well, I think if I could jump in, I think for our product, uh, from a really high level view, it's the fact that if we, if we talk about one of those evolution of of games and evolution of gamers, I think having a really strong so to speak, that keeps people playing and playing and playing now is having a metagame that really supports that. And we see that now even in the most simple of, of shooters, online shooters, whether it's the latest iteration of Call of Duty. And I just say simple, not because it's not an immense undertaking, it is, but in, in the quick, uh, satisfying, you know, pure 
deathmatch style product, you still have uh, a metagame that is can take you know dozens and dozens and dozens of hours as you evolve this player and. You know, players want that now. I mean, you're not just going to jump into a match like you did in MechWarrior 234 online and blow some people up. You're going to have a little fun, but every time that match, match ends, all that went away. You know, that's, you know, just hopefully you just remember, you just hope that the guys remembered how awesome you played because it certainly wasn't going to be presented anywhere. And so certainly there's that now. People expect that. And what a great thing for us for that expectation to collide with how wonderful the Mech Warrior universe and Battletech universe is, just how deep it goes. We have so much to draw upon. It's a huge advantage for us. So finally now, not only do we have that to draw upon, but people want that. So we can adjust our game pillars and our design around that universe, around our community warfare pillars, whether it's mercenary units, the five great houses, aligning yourself fighting over actual intersphere planets and having whatever you do and that long tail of the game exist but impact the universe you know so it's like uh, a lot of people call our game mmo and it's a conversation we have all the time is it an mmo well from a player who played you know everquest when it came out you know i kind of get my mindset around that and subscription base and say no it's not but on the other hand well it is it's, there's lots of persistent aspects to it so um, we're no longer scared of that term. If you want to call it an MMO, that's fine. Um, there's such a persistent element there that uh, you could put um, years and years of, of, of playing enjoyment to our product and see that uh, cup play out in the universe and be rewarded in a persistent way. So um, I think that's why we're really utilizing all that background now. And I think it's, you know, it's just a great thing for us. Randall? I, I think the Baltech board game has always always tried to present that universe as best as possible. I think it's in, in the last few years we have uh, it, it's less about saying oh this hasn't been done before so let's do it now and more about you know finding better ways to present that universe in a way that you know, can capture people's imaginations. Uh, and I, I couldn't agree more um, with the direction that, that, that Prana is taking MechWarrior online. I think the, you know, as much as, I, I just go back to my own computer game experiences, even completely outside of Biotech. Um, and outside of Civilization, which was a whole other reason that I, you know, lost weeks of my life when that first came out. It, Halo, I think, is one of the great examples of taking what a, what in essence was just a first-person shooter that I've never really been that interested in, and just the coolness of the universe itself and the unfolding story and the surprises you ran into. I, I just went down that rabbit hole, and I'm still a big Halo fan. Uh, and you know, not not to diss Halo at all, but you know, the MechWarrior universe is far more complex and bigger than that. Uh, and so for MechWarrior Online, it's simply a case of finding the right spot and then taking the right bits of information and laying it out in a way that is going to ensure that the fans have just a wonderful, rewarding experience. Uh, and even just watching uh, 
just watching here now where, you know, we're just unrolling news and, and Prana starting to get stuff out there. And I've been having a blast putting these uh, once a day tweets together. And they'll post a tweet up, and within minutes, it'll instantly spark a discussion of uh, of uh, some of the guys providing more info, and then others asking questions, and and so you can see that hunger there to want to be not just blowing crap up, but doing it within the context of that larger universe. Do you think this is going to reach people who it's going is going to reach people who who didn't? get hooked on the novels and and the uh, sort of expanded universe back in the 90s? Do you think, do you think it's going to basically... Are you, are, is this going to be meaningful to players who aren't already uh, Battletech converts? Uh, well, the, the computer games have always been magnitudes greater sellers than any paper side of it. Um, you know, sales-wise, it was always the computer games, this giant towering edifice... And then the novel buyers, back when the novels were being printed on a regular basis, that was significantly higher. And then you had the board game sales, um, which equates to, you know, the number of people playing. Um, so I, I think MechWarrior Online absolutely has a chance of, one, it has a ready-made, you know, tens of millions of players that have played all the various iterations of MechWarrior before but we'll do it in a way that'll immerse them more than ever, but there's a whole new crowd of MMO players that have maybe never even heard about Battletech or MechWarrior, but uh, as Russ mentioned, maybe you're looking for something a little different, and I'll give it a try, and you know that'll, that'll lead them down the rabbit hole. I think, uh, you know, a little plug for, you know, uh, the guys over at Wargaming, right now one of the games I'm playing a lot is World of Tanks. Now, they announced they hit 18 million registered users, so that's incredible. And and that game uh, is, you know, in some ways, uh, if you had to draw a comparison, you know, just by the fact that it's a vehicle combat, not quite. They don't move as fast as you know maybe some of the fastest Twitch games out there. You got a you got a turret that rotates much like a torso. There's some comparisons to be drawn there, and to see how much that has grabbed people's attention and pulled people in, I think, you know, uh, you could make the argument that uh, perhaps tanks are a, a broader appeal, but you also might make the argument that anyone who likes to drive around a tank is sure as hell going to like walking around on a mech. So I think, yes, I think Randall nailed it. I think th there's a lot of players out there that played MechWarrior that, you know, never did play the board game or, or read a book, and... I think we have a chance to. Uh, um, I hope more than anything that you know the guys at Catalyst Games see a big increase in interest in their all their products. That would be fabulous. Uh, but I also think that we have a chance here to see an even greater um, number of people coming over to play this product uh, that have never played a MechWarrior product before. The way we're handling the story as well, I think, with uh, MechWarrior Online is it's in a very layered approach. We have very light uh, elements of story through our, our ISN Twitter feed. Uh, then we get deeper with larger articles. We bring in, uh, when we announce new battle mechs, we have a story associated with those. Uh, and everything we do is fused with story. And so as players, just by playing the game, they're always going to be exposed to this, this deep lore and I think if they want to keep going deeper and deeper, that they can not only uh, find that within our product, but then jump out of our universe and go 
to uh, Catalyst and the tabletop game and to the novels and other places to fill in, fill the gaps in. So I think we're just part of an entire solution. So there, there was one last, there, there was one last thing I wanted to wanted to touch on with you guys uh, before we wrap this up, and it has to do with uh, the, the problems of of scale introduced in BattleTech. And uh, one of the things I wanted to hear a bit more about from Randall, and uh, I definitely want to hear about how how you're handling, how you may be handling it in MechWire since you guys are being so damn cagey uh, with with details. Um, you know, so so Randall, you were talking about uh, so the, the battle force system that lets you sort of scale up uh, the action, the battletech action to maybe a bit more of the uh, larger scale combined arms tactics you you read about in the novel. And uh, from a design perspective, how how do you do that? How how do you how do you scale the game to operate on a completely different level than it does in in the core board game? It's all about <laughs> first. There's a lot of trial and error. I mean, the 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 battle force system as it appears in strategic operations is heavily based on the Battle Force 2 rules system um, that I worked with Brian Neistel, who was the Baltic line developer at the time at FASA. And the one of our issues with the first Battle Force rules system that was published back in the 80s is it felt nothing like Battletech. And so we're like, well, if you're going to do something like this, it has to still feel like you're playing Battletech. And so I remember a few weeks where Brian would generate a rule system and that, you know, tried to emulate the feeling of the board game, but just in a quicker, more simpler fashion. And we'd go in and we'd sit down and you'd play like three turns in, you know, just 15 minutes and you'd know instantly, yeah, that's wrong. And, you know, he'd wad it up and throw it in the corner and go back to his desk and keep working. Uh, and so it, when it comes to generating the rules you need to to try to scale things up, it absolutely is just a, a, a lot of trial and error, a lot of playtesting and trusting your gut that all the things that you've loved in the gameplay you know, if you can still see that in the next larger set of rules that allow you to play a lot more things quicker, you know, then you're absolutely on the right track. I think the same strategy applies for us as well as we just, uh, we, be, we, get, we begin with the statement of gameplay and we say, here it is, here's, here's our first draft, if you will. And then we test it and we test it and we test it and we ex- expand our testing from a small group to a larger group. And effectively that's, the stages of game development that you'll start seeing happening in the new year where we have, you know, alphas and closed betas and then open betas. And, and as we go through each, each stage, uh, we tune, we tweak, we revisit some of our initial statements and amend them based on what we're seeing happening in the game to make sure that we didn't create any imbalances and, and that the gameplay is fair for everybody from new players to veterans. So, um, just to, just to wrap things up here, uh, Randall, I'm I'm curious. So, how is how is the new box set uh, performed? I did hear from a from a hobby shop owner recently, who says that he's been trying to get uh, new copies of the uh, of the of the box set that came out this summer, and uh, once again, there's a back order on it. Uh, so, have you have you sold out the the box set? And uh, what are your plans for for the line from here? Well, we uh, we printed. Um, the the 25th anniversary, the 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 big box version, uh, that came out last uh, like m- April May ish, uh, and 
<clears throat> we printed probably about a 20 to 30% higher than we might of a normal print run of a product, feeling pretty confident that it would do well. Uh, and it sold out of the warehouse in like 10 days. Um, and it was, I mean, we've been working a very long, hard time these last few years to raise awareness and excitement of Battletech up to something that I don't think I've seen since FASA days. Uh, and even we were just completely blown away by the speed with which it sold out and the excitement of it. Uh, and then, so because these are printed overseas, it simply takes anywhere from three to four months to get printed. Uh, the problem then, uh, unfortunately, is we also ran into a lot of various production issues. And I, uh, un unfortunately, uh, uh, kind of drew the curtain back a little bit when the fans were asking a few weeks back on the, the Battletech forums. And if you're interested, uh, um, you certainly could go find it there where I kind of laid out, you know, here's all the uh, unbelievable issues that we ran into in trying to get this thing printed but it's all finally printed it's in our warehouse um unfortunately it came in too late in the holidays to come out in um uh in december but it absolutely will be on store shelves by the end of january uh and then um unlike the last time <laughs> we're already uh, have plans in the mix in case it starts blowing out again that we'll be able to speed up a new reprint after that if need be a lot quicker. So it'll be it'll be back on store shelves uh, in in the new year then. Yep. Great. Uh, and uh, Brian Russ, what's the uh, what, what's the ETA on MechWarrior Online? Summer 2012. And what year <laughs> will it be in the Inner Sphere? Uh, that will be. Uh, the summer of uh, thirty forty nine. Is that is that a, is that a pretty firm date, or is that still subject to sliding uh, a quarter here or there? It's pretty firm, I think. I mean, that's an advantage of the type of product we're making. You know, we're the first version that comes out is you know what we will refer to as minimum viable product, and we the, we know and all the fans know and should know that uh, lots of uh, updates will come and constantly come out after the launch so but we want to get the first version into players hands in summer and uh, we should be able to do that all right uh well thank you so much for joining us tonight um it's been an absolute treat talking to you and uh it's like i said at the start it's it's a really good time to be a, a be a mech fan and uh there's this i'm excited for this coming year because there's gonna be a lot of ways to, for uh for battletech fans to to enjoy the universe again great can't wait yeah neither can i all right. Well, thank you. Happy holidays and good night. Thanks. Thank you so much. Take care.